Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to the Dynamic Dojo Show with Restita and Robert, your source for martial arts talk radio. Well, good morning, listeners. Welcome to Dynamic Dojo Talk Radio with Respita and Robert. And uh, we're, we're going lo-fi right now until I can figure out what is going on with my new hi-fi studio. But joining, here, joining me here at the helm is Sifu Robert Deal, my esteemed co-host. How you doing, Sifu Bob? I'm doing okay. Weather's warm. Yeah. Uh, family's out of the house. My daughter, my daughter, or my daughter, my my wife and kids are at the uh, Rose Bowl swap meet today because my wife's getting used to having Sundays off. She hasn't gotten Sundays off in thirty years. So, <laughs> so now they're just doing everything, right? <laughs> now they're just doing everything, right? Yeah. Cool. Oh yeah. Well, um, our phone number here, folks, is three four seven six seven seven zero six nine nine. It's our Sunday brunch show, and we are going to be recapping the recent Dragon Fest 2015 convention that happened last weekend, uh, July 18th and 19th. But before we get on with the show, I want to see if actually going live um, when the show started actually affected anything with my hi-fi connection. So, uh, Bob, I'm going to go ahead and mute this line, which is my phone line, and I'm going to try the uh, the other connection, the actual hi-fi connection. And uh, and if you don't hear me, then you can't really say anything because I won't be able to hear you, but I'm going to try it anyway. So, everyone, hang tight for one sec. Can't hear a word. Well, that bites. So much for the... <laughs> So much for the hi-fi connection. That made no sense. So, okay, Block Talk Radio, folks. <laughs> I better fix this. I have to fix this before uh, uh, before um, Violet Rose Reiki's show comes on on Thursday. She's going to be going, what's going on? So, anyway, Block Talk Radio has, has this new uh, hi-fi studio that you can connect to. And I went, oh, hey, cool. So, I connected to it. And... Uh, I was like, you know, really pumped and uh, uploaded a bunch of audio, and it uh, it actually uploaded as hi-fi uh, audio, meaning whoa, stereo. That's kind of cool after all this time being mono. Blog talk radio, and uh, anyway, I plugged in my headset, couldn't hear a darn thing on any of my audio clips. Can't hear anything on the on the board if it's in hi-fi mode. And I can't figure out how to get out of the Hi-Fi studio. We're still on it, but I had to call in on my phone. <laughs> I haven't done that in forever. I've been using Skype or Direct Connect. But no, I've got to, like, you know, call in on my phone. Oh, well, that's all right. <laughs> so, so anyhow, uh, in about 30 minutes or so, we're going to start our discussion and recap on um, the happenings at the Dragon Fest 2015 convention last weekend. And we're going to play for our listeners some of the interviews that we got 
over there. We interviewed um, Steve Odekirk, um, the original and the original founder of Dragonfest, uh, Mr. Gerald Okamura, and uh, a bunch of other people. And we're just going to play a few of those uh, those interviews here in a little bit. But let's go ahead and get on with the show. So, um, do you have any like uh, opening? remarks or announcements before we get on with birthdays, Bob? Uh, not this week. Not this week. It was oh, okay. very hectic. One of my coworkers went on vacation on Thursday, and I have absolutely been buried. I couldn't even take this. Legitimately, I, couldn't, I shouldn't have even taken this weekend off, but I don't have a key. So I had to oh. stay away from work, and now I'm, like, stressing about tomorrow. Because have you ever sat there and you had so much work to do, you didn't know where to start? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so it yeah. Delays, now it delays everything because you're going. Blah, 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 blah. That's yeah. how my week ended. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. Same so. here. Because I've had to, uh, there's been a change of plans. Um, at the, my studio, um, we, 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 we redid the, the schedule so it doesn't allow for uh, my wushu and tai chi and stuff. So um, I figured to, to, to make the, the schedule work out, um, I'm running um, a lot of my classes away from uh, body movement art. So I've been having to move all my stuff, and it's kind of like, oh, my gosh, i got to do all this and run um, a summer camp. Um, out in Bellevue, which is about mm, half an hour away from uh, from where I live, and uh, and what else? And planning for the upcoming Palma Camp, and we'll get into those. I'll get into that announcement here in a little bit. But let's uh, let's go into birthdays, and then we can talk about hectic schedules. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, well, this week I have uh, today is Chuck Yarborough. Uh, his birthday is today. He is a student of the Reeds, uh, David and Lady Leilana Reed. Uh, mm-hmm. Brent Ambrose, a uh, retired Burbank police officer, ex-Masters uh, Hall of Fame uh, ambassador and alumni of the Masters Hall of Fame. His birthday is today. Kickboxing, uh, you can call him a legend almost. He was one of Benny Arquita's students and he did all the kickbox movies and he was Cody on the, uh, oh, I don't know, I think it was in the 90s, the TV show Step by Step, uh, Sasha Mitchell, which, uh, did you have a chance to meet Sasha last weekend? Like five seconds. <laughs> five seconds, gave him a, five seconds, gave him a hug because we were like on our way to do something. <laughs> hey, nice to meet you in person. Okay. We were so busy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, and Sasha was busy, too, because, you know, everyone wants to take pictures with him and stuff like that. So it's kind of like, yeah, you know, because <laughs> oh, we knew we'd catch him later. I thought we would be able to catch him later. Did we catch him later? Did we end up talking no. to him? Did we get him? No. I, that, he was on my list. I'm like, go grab Sasha. But no, that didn't work. <laughs> even, we even asked him and he said yes, and we still didn't get an interview with him. I know. That, there's so many people that we didn't get an interview with. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> great, great guy. Uh, he's been a customer of my wife's for like 20 years. Uh, really, really a nice guy. Uh, we've got 
birthdays. Dana White, the UFC Dana White, his birthday is on the 28th. Grandmaster Eric Lee, his birthday is on the 30th this month. And do you have any birthdays coming up? I do. Um, today, um, a former student of mine, uh, no, he, that's, I keep forgetting that he just joined again. Sorry. Daniel Monahan, his birthday is today, as well as Tai Chi classmates under Master Yi Jiao Hong, Etzer Sunday, and Joan Loggy. Their birthdays are today. Tomorrow, July 27th, Dale Presnall, Brett Petrilli, who is the brother of my um, Eskrima, one of my Eskrima instructors, uh, Grandmaster Chris Petrilli, um, and Margo Ernst, who is our treasurer on the on the Pacific Association of Women's Martial Artists Board of Directors. Uh, their birthdays are tomorrow, Wednesday the 29th. Uh, Lanake Pascobillo. Thursday the 30th. Raphael Pompeo and uh, Tai Chi sister Sana Shanti. And Friday the 31st, a great Filipino martial arts brother, Daniel Arola. So for everybody having a birthday, the week of, what's, I can't even find my calendar, what's the week? The <laughs> 26th through the, oh, it's almost the 1st. The 26th through August 1st, this is for you. I want to wanna wish you a happy birthday. I wanna wanna help you celebrate. I wanna wanna wish you lots of presents. I wanna wanna help you eat your cake. If you're bossy, bossy in the island way, you'll be jamming all night till the light of day. Your birthday, birthday is your day to shine. Another year and you'll be looking fine. birthday everyone let's make it a great birthday week right on all right let's move on to our weekly announcements what do you have on your weekly announcement docket there bob it's a slow week you know everything's starting to slow down a little bit uh yep. there are a couple tournaments coming up but i don't have the information in front of me oh <laughs> <laughs> i let me let me see if i've got like some no i don't <laughs> I don't have any. I don't have any uh, uh, tournament information. I do have. Oh, that's for next week. Um, I do have uh, just a couple of. No, wait. Hold on. Let me see here. Let me see what I got invited to. Uh, today. Well, it's really not going to be of any good if people are listening. But <laughs> there is something called the Chi Open House happening today. This is in Minneapolis. And uh, it starts at 12.45, so in about an hour or so, at uh, 1505 South Main Street um, in, oh, no, not Indianapolis, sorry. That's what I get for, like, just briefly reading through something. It's in Kannapolis, North Carolina. And um, the uh, the Chi Open House, this is really cool. I mean, this this building looks like, like one of those, uh, like, old-timey, you know, storefronts, you know, like from the 1800s and stuff. You know, like uh, kind of like old towny type stuff, and it's a, it's a, it's a transformative um, tai chi and qigong 
uh, type of school. And the uh, the open house goes until 4 p.m. today. Again, that's uh, 1505 South Main Street in Kannapolis, North Carolina. Uh, so if you're in the North uh, North Carolina area, go check that out. Um, and we've also got uh, the Zen Meditation and Chen Tai Chi Retreat 2015. It actually starts tomorrow and goes for a whole week until August 1st. And um, I believe this is in the United Kingdom uh, because the location says Waldingham School in Marden Park. And then it says CR37YA Waldingham. So I'm guessing I'm guessing it's in the UK. So if you want a little more information before Monday, before tomorrow, you want to email Paul at naturalelementsgroup.co.uk. So yes, it is uh, in the United Kingdom. And some of the teachers that are going to be there are Grandmaster Guo Kongjie, who is an 11th generation Chen Tai Chi lineage holder, and uh, he is uh, one of the legendary. Uh, Chen Jiaokui's last students. Um, so for those of you that are familiar with Chen style, uh, Guo Kongjie is going to be teaching there. Uh, Maxine Craig, who's a Zen practitioner, is also going to be teaching. And Paul Lockyer, who's a 12th generation Chen Tai Chi uh, disciple. Now, um, <clears throat> for some Chen Tai Chi people, it could be confusing as to you know, what this generation, you know, Chen Tai Chi type stuff is, right? Because, you know, it says that uh, Guo Kongjie is uh, 11th generation uh, Chen Tai Chi lineage holder, uh, whereas like myself, I'm 21st generation. So it's kind of like, well, what does that mean? Well, the generations, folks, are dependent on the particular path through the lineage that, you, um, that you're under. So like my lineage through Chen Zhen Lei, I'm a 21st generation. So for uh, for uh, Guo Kongjie, he's 11th generation under Chen Jiaokui. So that it's kind of weird like that, but it's like any other family tree. So just kind of depends where on the family tree you, you fall. So go check that out. Again, the uh, email is paul at naturalelementsgroup.co.uk. And uh, that's it for my events. Now, as far as um, uh, an upcoming camp, there's only two weeks for until the PAMA Pacific Association of Women's Training Camp um, uh, camp in Camp Campbell in Boulder Creek. I keep wanting to say Colorado, Boulder Creek, California. <laughs> I, I just booked my ticket to San Jose, um, and uh, we're we're doing weekly meetings every week me and the rest of the board of directors to make sure that it gets planned accordingly. Um, and if you guys, if the ladies out there still want to register, you can still register. Just go to pawma.org and, uh, you know, feel free to register there. We got a lot of great teachers, some of the greatest teachers in the United States. So pawma.org. And just as a heads up for the women warriors out there, next year for 2016, okay, uh, the PAMA Board of Directors, the AWMAI Board of, Board of Directors, which is the Association of Women's Martial Arts Instructors, and the NWMAF, which is a National Women's I, I can't, I can't, <laughs> I gotta write the I gotta write it down because I'm not part of the NWMAF, the National Women's Martial Arts Federation. <laughs> she was um, the uh, 
three main organizations in the United States for women's martial artists, um, which are all pretty big. Next year, we are, we are planning the Tri-Organization Camp. So all three organizations are going to be coming together to hold one big camp, and the way the plans are going, we're expecting anywhere between 400 to, uh, 400 to 600 attendees. This is going to be big, 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 big. So, you know, keep, keep tuned for information about that because if you're a woman martial artist, you, you will be missing out if you don't attend this women's training camp. Uh, anyhow, so, yeah. So back to Palma, though, the Palma Training Camp, Boulder, Boulder Creek, Colorado, California, uh, August 14th through 15th. Go to pawma.org for information. All right. I think, I think that's it for that. So, so unless you have any more, unless you have any more announcements, there's Sifu Bob. We'll get right into help me. Wow. You know, this... <laughs> This low fidelity, doing this on the phone type stuff really makes all of the audio sound really tinny and really sharp. I think I broke an eardrum uh, with that sound effect. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, hints to stop stress eating. Now, when you're under stress, you often feel out of control, right? And overwhelmed. I know this last week has been out of control and overwhelming for me. And, you know, and and I'm sure we've all been through that. I know you've been through that. I know a lot of our listeners have been through that. So, you know, stress, you know, and that feeling of uh, being overwhelmed and out of control can leak into your eating habits. So it's no surprise that you go after junk food like a hungry lion instead of keeping up with your normal healthy habits. So, you know, if you're worried about the past or the future or anything in between and not worrying about what you're eating in the present, that's going to cause some problems because stress depletes the cognitive resources that we need to remain focused and resilient and to practice creative problem sol- solving. So that's why getting elbow deep into a pint of mint chip ice cream always feels a lot easier than actually coming up with a plan on how to tackle super tough a super tough work part project or even you know, tackling how to cook a healthy meal. So here's some, here's some tips to stop stress eating, okay? Number one, focus on the real issue. We all know food is just a crutch when we're stressed. Stress eating is not the primary problem, but a symptom of unmet needs. Ask yourself, how do I feel? What do I need to figure out what's really getting under your skin? Now, um, I've just lately started doing that. What do I need? Because I've always been, like, uh, thinking about other people, and I know you're the same type of guy, right? So do, you, uh, so do you find that stress creeps up on you because of that too, Bob? That Ab- you're thinking absolutely. about? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm worried yeah. about customers and business, and, and it just, you know, but I would rather dig myself into a pint of mint chip ice cream than a pint of tequila. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah. yeah, you know, I I tend to look more, you know, out for my friends and my students, right? There and 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 the rest of my family, their needs come before mine, and that's something that's always been uh, uh, a stress thing for me, right? I've got to make sure that everyone's needs are met, and sometimes I forget about me. And uh, just a you know, just a little little bit ago, I had a few friends text me and go, "Dude, 
you leave your pride to the side and start thinking about yourself. You know, take care of Rusty. And I'm like, oh, I guess I just needed to hear that, although it still feels kind of funny. Okay, so number two, another way to stop stress eating is you want to think long term. Just take a minute to focus on the future. Now, whether or not that means recalling your weight loss goals or how awesome you want to look on a vacation next month, um, you want to look at the future a little bit before you give in to stress eating, right? It can help you get out of the present moment so you can make healthier food choices instead of succumbing to the lure of that tasty treat. Number three, get mindful. In a recent study in the Journal of Obesity, Women who underwent mindfulness training, like learning stress reduction techniques, meditation techniques, learning how to recognize hunger and pay attention to taste, stuff like that, were less apt to stress eat and lost more belly fat compared to a control group. So next time you're feeling taxed and stressed, try this exercise. You'll learn to identify your feelings Accept the unpleasant feelings and focus on your breathing so you can fight the automatic urge to reach for a snack. So deep breathing, learn to recognize hunger, pay attention to it, and pay attention to taste because that's something I know all of us forget to do. We forget that we're hungry because we're thinking about other crap, right? I mean, you've been there too, Bob, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we just forget to eat. Right, and then we like we crash and burn because we haven't eaten, and that makes us more stressed, and it just causes a nasty cycle. Okay, number four, be kind to yourself. Self compassion can decrease stress eating. When you're a kind, understanding friend to yourself, it's easier to resist the urge to try to disconnect through stress eating. If you do stress eat, however, promise that you won't beat yourself up after it and understand that it happens to everyone sometimes. This can help stop you from eating out of failure and help you make, a, help you make better choices later. And number five, if all else fails, go ahead and indulge. Food is a lovely, comforting thing, so there's nothing really wrong with it. So if you're going to do it anyway, just sit down, let yourself relax, and enjoy the taste of that treat. But, of course, do so in moderation. Pay attention to that at least. Plan on savoring a small brownie rather than chowing down the whole pan. <laughs> so, folks, it's okay to, like, find that comfort food. Just don't comfort food every day. Like me, I love homemade baked macaroni and cheese. Absolutely love it. Love it with bacon. <laughs> bacon and peppers that's that's my comfort food but i know if i ate it every day that i was stressed that would be my downfall <laughs> so yeah. be careful out there you guys um and and this is just my thought um before you guys even uh, one thing that will actually help with stress eating is you know before you get all weirded out and stressed out is learn to recognize when your body is undergoing stress. And, uh, you know, that's another part of mindfulness. And my problem, Bob, is that when I, when I recognize that my body is going through stress and that I am showing the symptoms, I get stressed out about that. <laughs> I get stressed out about being stressed, right? Oh, my gosh, I'm stressed, which is, I know it's kind of funny, but it's kind of like, you know, you know, deep in my brain, it, it doesn't make sense that a Tai Chi and Qigong instructor is stressed, 
right? So I kind of go, well, I shouldn't be like that. And that causes just a weird amount of stress. And then, you know, just a couple days ago when some friends uh, texted and called me and said, dude, you know, get rid of your pride and just chill. Just chill, right? That's when I realized, oh, yeah, what am I hanging on to, right? So that, that was a big lesson to me about learning to recognize what I'm feeling and how it's making me uh, produce my own stress. So just do that, folks. It's an ongoing skill. All right. Well, that's it for health news. Let's move on to weird news. All right. What do we got? Well, this is up by you, and I want to know if you've ever seen this in the West Seattle area. It's in West Seattle? It's in West Seattle. Holy I'm crap. trying to find the name of it. I mean, it's, that's, what, that's what got my attention. It is the first Bud and Breakfast opened in Seattle. It says, <laughs> one, it says 126. A new oh, cool Bed and Breakfast is it, actually very cool. <laughs> I grabbed this and went, wow, really? A new Bed and Breakfast in Seattle wants customers to be able to wake and bake. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I just thought that was I just thought that was weird. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> oh, okay. Seven okay, Leaf. Seven Leaf B and B calls itself a bud and breakfast. Have you seen Seven Leaf B and B in West Seattle? No. No. I have no. <laughs> I've never, oh, I've never like, heard not of it. Not like you've been there. I mean, <laughs> well, no, I just never heard of it. <laughs> well, it says it opens one twenty-six, or maybe oh, wow. that was the time. It just oh, opens okay. in Seattle. This is one twenty-six, but it has a colon instead of a uh, dash or something. So may- maybe that's just the time it was done. Uh, huh. And says it wants to help you fulfill your mind, your desires, and your curiosity when it comes to food, life, and cannabis. According to its reservation page, room starts rooms start at a hundred and forty dollars a night. In fact, maybe while I'm reading this story, you can can you Google it and see where it is? Yeah, let me uh, let me see here. Uh, yeah, go ahead and read it. Cannabis culture is celebrated in every room with names like Bill Bong Thornton's room and the high case. Oh, my God. This is like the Madonna Inn in California, you know, that has strange names for all their rooms, you know. Right. Uh, One catch. Guests can't smoke inside, but smoking on the ground is allowed, Hmm. if not encouraged. And other methods to partaking in marijuana are available throughout the facility. One is edibles, which co-owner and chef Jeremy Cooper whips up with marijuana that guests bring themselves. Recreational marijuana is, is legal in Washington State. Cooper mm-hmm. operates the S-A-M-I-C-H, Savory Accessory Marijuana Infused Culinary Happiness. <laughs> what? Oh <my> <laughs> what? He came up with an acronym. 
Submit. Oh my M- God. Oh, uh, isn't that amazing? <laughs> that is. <laughs> and it's a food truck. And now lends his cannabis cooking skills to Seven Leaf by spiking its culinary creations with weed infused oils, butters, and spices. It's not all about getting high, Cooper told NBC affiliate King Five. It's truly about an experience and a culture that's been suppressed for for a hundred years. What's it called again? Seven, Bud and breakfast. Seven leaves. Or is it seven leaves? Hold on. Seven, seven leaves L-E-A-F. or leaves? Leaf. Singular. Seven. Seven leaf. Uh, West Seattle. Seven leaf is the first of its kind. The idea of marijuana-friendly inns and hotels sprouted in Colorado with hotels like Adiago in Denver, which boasts the slogan, we'll keep the bull burning for you. We want... <laughs> <laughs> I almost couldn't make it through that. Oh, God. We never want you to think that this house is a place to come get hammered and stoned, says the seven mm-hmm. leaf. Airbnb page. So uh, so Google Seven Leaf Air B and B. Yeah, yeah. I'm 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 here already, but it's not giving me a an address. Um let's see here. The space. It just it just goes over the, the rooms like Billy Bong Thornton's, my bud's room, the high cave, the stepbrother room. Uh <laughs> <you know. laughs> Oh my gosh. Um let's see. Where in West Seattle? Let's see. I can't okay, let me back up a little bit. <clears throat> uh da, da, da. let's go to the West Seattle blog. My local blog should know. Um let's see. Seven Seven Leaf is oh, of course that's not that's not helping because it's just listing all of the blog posts since like forever. Uh, right, let me exactly. do one one more thing. Apparently, it according to, to I, the, there's something there's a news flash that came out only four days ago and it said that Seattle's first Bud and Breakfast opened. So it doesn't look like. Uh, let's see here. I'm gonna read the full article. I'm curious now, just because. I mean, everyone's going, why is she making a big big deal out of this? Because I live in Seattle where weed is normal. And, you know, I, literally I can step out of my car, depending on where I'm at, step out of my car, like in a big parking lot, and go, yeah, somebody's smoking, you know? <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But West Seattle's a really uh, – uh, is a really uh, small place. But I, I'm curious because um, – well, let's see here. Nope, that didn't <laughs> that didn't work. Oh well, I'll I'll look I'll look later. So okay, well let's move on. <laughs> okay, let's move on to entertainment news. Okay. One of the biggest fears of going to a valet is having them give your car to somebody else besides partying right. or or stealing from you. Well, Grandmaster Flash. Or, uh, a noted rapper lost his prize and his prize and customized possession because of an overly generous and not so bright valet. Oh, no. he handed over the 
Yeah, he handed over this guy's car keys to a car thief. Really? Yes. Now, did, the, did the valet know that it was a car thief, or did he think it was that guy's car? He's not, like he it, obviously thought it was that guy's car. Oh, suck, but. Oh, my God. <laughs> no. Flash tells us his custom-made 2014 white Dodge Charger, nicknamed the Ghost, was jacked from a parking structure in NYC last Thursday. Most frustrating of all, <laughs> he says the, the parking attendant didn't ask for any ID or a parking ticket from the thief. Law enforcement sources tell, tell, the cop, tell us cops were called, but that, that was merely a takedown uh, to take down a, stole, a uh, stolen car report. The ghost had long since vanished by the time the cops got there. Flash, famous for the rap classics like White Lines and The Message, also lost some vintage vinyl records that were in his whip. <laughs> he, he, <laughs> I haven't heard, I he, haven't heard that term forever. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> he's, oh. he's considering a lawsuit against the parking company. No kidding. You think? Don't push him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I would. Uh, it right? says don't push him because he's close to the edge. Okay, and for all the all the uh, old school hip hoppers out there, you know what that's all about. Don't push me because I'm close to the edge. Don't push me because I'm close to the edge. I'm trying not to lose my head. <laughs> it's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep from going under. Yeah, those Standing were the days. And you know, you know, you know what I thought was funny. I just realized just a second ago that when I pulled together this clip, this was the the first part of the the. Uh, chorus at the beginning of the song. It's like a 10-minute song, right? And here you are talking about his car getting taken, and the first line in there is like something about his car getting repossessed or something like that. So, yeah, sorry, Grandmaster Flash, but I found out that that, that song came out in 82, and uh, that was the classic. I, I, I got a shout-out to to hip-hop back then, those were the classic days of rap. That was when rap actually had a message and actually talked about the, the, the real struggles going, going on in the streets as well as morals and actually had a tune and, you know, uh, had tunes to them and stuff like that. Nowadays, though, there's a lot of rap that just talks about just a whole bunch of four-letter words. <laughs> it's just what happened. Anyhow... <laughs> I was listening to old school rap uh, all the way down to like uh, Rapper's Delight that came out and oh help me out listeners give us a call three four seven six seven seven zero six nine nine what year did Rapper's Delight come out I could have sworn it was seventy eight or seventy nine I don't know anyway give us a call let us know <laughs> all right. So that's it for entertainment news, weird news, health news, and announcements. So let's do this. Let's go ahead and take a short four-minute break. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about the Dragon Fist, uh, Dragon Fist, gosh darn, the Dragon Fest 2015 highlights. So don't go away, everybody. We'll be right back after this. A boy born in Joplin, Missouri was fascinated 
by anything with wheels and a motor. The odds of him going on to fascinate millions with his talent, one in 260,000. The odds of him having 15 career NASCAR victories, one in 1.7 million. The odds of a child being diagnosed with autism, one in 68. I'm Jamie McMurray, and my niece has autism. Learn more at autismspeaks.org slash signs. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. You know, a lot of kids in my neighborhood have really bullied me. There's these teenagers around my neighborhood who sometimes just ride around us on their bikes calling calling us swear words and like throwing stuff at us. He grabs my jacket just to get in line first and he was running after me and then he grabbed me by the hood and I started choking. I wasn't doing anything he called me gay because he didn't like me. Bullying is wrong because it like hurts people's feelings and it makes you feel bad about yourself. It can make someone feel uncomfortable and scare them and make them not want to go back to school. It lowers their self-esteem. And it doesn't just always hurt on the outside. It also hurts on the inside. But do you know what I say when he's bothering me? I say, don't do that. If you don't stop, then I'll go tell the teacher. Stop. Could you please not do that anymore? Just stop. Stop bullying. It is not cool. Hi, folks. This is Ristita De Jesus of Dynamic Dojo Talk Radio. And I just want to send a shout-out to a good friend of the Dynamic Dojo show, Mr. Justin Harvey. Now, Justin's got two big passions in the world, and those are radio and martial arts. A student of Frank Duke's, Justin is a true student of the arts. Now, Justin has cerebral palsy, but that doesn't stop him at all. In fact, if somebody says that something can't be done, Justin will just get out there and do it, no matter what. He's the host of The Justin Harvey Show and has had guests such as Cynthia Rothrock, Frank Dukes, Ernie Reyes Sr. and Jr., Eric Lee, and many more. The Justin Harvey Show is syndicated on iTunes, so what are you waiting for? Go check it out. Hi, this is Frank Dukes. This is T. Joe Douglas Wong. Hi, this is Kumu Lua, Michelle Manu, and you're listening to Rosita and Bob on the Dynamic Dojo Radio Show. The only place to be to get the real scoop on the real things that are going on in the martial arts world. Do you have an idea for a guest or a topic that you'd like to hear on the Dynamic Dojo Talk Radio Show? If you do... You can email your suggestions and ideas to dynamic dojo radio post at gmail.com or you can also post it on the Dynamic Dojo Facebook page. You're listening to the Dynamic Dojo Show with Restita and Robert, your source for martial arts talk radio. are back. This is Dynamic Dojo Talk Radio with Ristita and Robert. Our phone number here is 347-677-0699. Um, or you can hit us up on our chat board. I guess it would help if I brought up the chat board. Uh, <laughs> let me do that. Sorry, folks. I've just been like so like uh, so like distracted. I just got off of a 
board meeting literally minutes before uh, we had to go on the air. Um, I was at a board meeting with the Pacific Association of Women's Martial Artists and just got on and and realized that the studio board wouldn't work in the Wi-Fi mode. So me and Bob are like, you know, voxing, texting each other back and forth, going, what the hell? I can't get on the board. I can't hear nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So the chat board is up. The chat board is on. And uh, we have guest uh, 741 listening. I don't know who that is, but welcome guest 741. Um, Anyhow, and our phone number is 347-677-0699. Yeah, Go ahead, I Bob. actually do know who I actually do know who that is. Who's that? Commented on something on Facebook. That is my dear friend Chris Chris Boto. Oh, hi, Chris! Virtual wave on the air wave. I'm waving. <laughs> hi, Chris. And, um, and believe me, he's, he's you, you know how we some most of our listeners will laugh with us because we'll say something funny. He was laughing mm-hmm. at you. Oh. <laughs> okay, oh, I gotta yeah. get onto that thread. I gotta get onto that thread. Where where is it? <laughs> when, when, you, when, when you said dragon fist, dragon fist, I know. Right? <laughs> where is it? I gotta because there's like a bajillion. Like it's like you tag me on on um, <laughs> you tag me on the thing that I post. So on my on my side, it posts like twice, right? Um, so, or actually it's three times because you posted, it shows up and you tag me on that, but for some reason it bounces back and forth and I, and like stuff ends up on my timeline like three times. So I don't know where he's, where he's commenting on. So I kind of want to get in on that discussion, but I do want to ask Chris a question. Do we sound crappy? Because we are going lo-fi right now. (laughs) Do we sound crappy? Do we sound tinny? Do we sound like we're on the phone? Do we sound like we're talking on walkie-talkies? Please let Bob know. All right. So, Dragon Fest, not Fist, Dragon Fest 2015 happened last weekend at the Burbank Media Arts Center at the Burbank Holiday Inn, and it was so cool. It was two days of pure fun. Well, actually, three days if we count me and Bob uh, helping get stuff together (laughs) and stuff like that. So Saturday and Sunday, the 18th and 19th were just absolutely fun. Um, It didn't seem as, uh, what's the word I'm looking, it didn't seem as hectic as it was last year because it was, it was spread out over two days. Uh, Don't you think so, Bob? A little bit. Uh, They had 300 more people this year. They had 1,500 people. Uh, That includes vendors, guests, whoever. Uh, because mm-hmm. we had a, uh, Michael had a uh, thank you dinner for all the volunteers last night, which I attended, which is pretty mm-hmm. cool. I saw, you know, Jacqueline Eggers and, and Karen, uh, Michael's wife, uh, Michelle Manu was there, Frank Marquez, Mario, Billy Smith, uh, a lot of volunteers. And it was cool. good. I really appreciated the help he got from, from everybody. And we had it at Pinocchio's restaurant in, uh, Burbank last night. Mm, very cool. Yeah, it was funny. And before that, you know, I had met Chris for lunch, Chris Boto, and we mm. were having some hot wings. So at this restaurant, every time I had ordered their hottest hot wings, I still had to put a hot sauce on it. Mm-hmm. So I well, had to put hot wings in. <laughs> those are no, hot, they're not hot wings, wings right? So they're, they're probably like Costco with, hot wings. 
Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Where it's bad, it's a little spicy, but not really bad. So they added two more flavors. Well, they named their flavors. Their highest used to be nine one one. Then they added uh-huh. the spicy garlic, and then they added one that says double dog dare you. Mm-hmm. Holy crap! So we ordered the double dog dare you. Hottest wings oh. I have ever had in my life. The ones that linger. Yeah, yeah. For like an yeah. hour. I mean, yeah, I'm putting I, ice I, cubes I, on my tongue. <laughs> <laughs> that that that's actually the worst because uh, capsaicin is uh, isn't water soluble. It makes it worse. It spreads it around, and uh, it's like yeah. I I had like something called the number seven. That's just all they called it over at a place over here called the Wing Dome, and uh, it's so hot that they only sell it by the each. You can't buy like a plate of them. They only sell one, and you have to sign a wow. waiver. And they suggest that you buy like milk or get like um, something that's uh, uh, similar to uh, that uh, that uh, Indian uh, yogurt uh, drink, um, raita, uh, the dip, raita, so something with yogurt in it. And I'm like, oh, I hate milk. I can't stand it. But, you know, I'll, I'll take my chances. So, yeah, I, I took a bite out of it and it was good. The flavor is amazing. And it. It takes about like I don't know five seconds before it hits you, and then it like smacks you upside the head, boom, and then knocks you out. It waits till you're down and then knocks you out, right? And, and I'm like, I don't you. care how much I hate. And then it then it hits, and the the inhaling and exhaling hurt both. And I I literally thought I was gonna damage my lungs or or my tonsils or something. So I I said I don't care how much I hate milk. I'm gonna have to like get some milk. Oh gross! It was it was. I'll never do that crap again. But you did the double well, dog Chris, dare. Chris and I were sitting there sweating. We were crying. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> I mean I can't uh, see it because you know. He has a shaved head, right? I can see rips of sweat. <laughs> yeah, you know, oh you know it. You know it's hot when <laughs> when you, when your head starts to sweat. So anyway, so so, so that, that's anyway, really cool so, though. Pinocchio's. Well, we're back at Pinocchio's. Well, okay. Chris had told me something that was actually very touching yesterday. He got a student off of my nomination into the Hall of Fame. Uh, Lamar Davis, a very, very well-known JKD practitioner, had recommended mm-hmm. to a student move. I guess moving out here now, Chris, you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong because it was, you know, it was very quick. That mm-hmm. recommended he goes to see Chris when he comes out here, and then he mentioned how it, how he wanted to study with him because of his recommendation and because he got nominated and inducted into the Masters Hall of Fame. Oh. Well, that's cool. Awesome. Yeah, you, and, and I think you and I were talking about it a little bit yesterday about um, about the the I guess the impact or the reputation that the Masters Hall of Fame has um, in the United States um, and now going internationally because you know now people are going, oh my goodness, you're in the Masters Hall of Fame. Um, that just it kind of says something about you know the amount of vetting that we do as part of the board of directors to make sure that everyone that comes in to the Masters Hall of Fame is, you know, spot on, legitimate. Uh, now, what we mean by legitimate is not, is like, for example, not like a nine-year-old black belt or something like that. You know what I mean? Um, 
uh, like right. a nine-year-old, nine-year-old six degree because it just doesn't happen, <laughs> right? And um, <laughs> and that's going to be a different different show, you guys. Uh, <laughs> it just doesn't happen, and you know we 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 have to do um, a lot of the vetting to 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 make sure that uh, that they're legitimate, and 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 we research the the stuff that they do and the stuff they do for their community. That's the important thing. Do they give back to the community or are they just, you know, practicing on their own? And um, those are the people that uh, we want on the, on the organization. And it just so happens now that, you know, like even I, and I'm sure you have too, Bob, you know, even I, I'm getting these things like, wow, you, you were in the Masters Hall of Fame? You know, what? What? You're an ambassador? You know, and it's kind of like, whoa, you know, I, you, you, you know, sometimes when you're part of an organization, you really don't know the, the reach that it has until someone else points it out to you. So that's really kind of cool that, you know, Chris got recognized because of his induction into the Masters Hall of Fame. And I'm sure that new student is going to have a cool, cool, cool new great teacher because of it, because that's the rep, that's reputation. Very cool. That is touching. That's a touching story, Chris. Thanks for sharing with Bob. <laughs> so, wow. That's pretty cool. So, yeah, Dragon Fest. I said fest. <laughs> it was really cool. The first, uh, the first day, uh, it, it seemed like it opened kind of slow, but then it just gradually built up into a very steady amount of people coming in. Now, you know that if all the people that came in Saturday and Sunday came in all in one day, it would have been like a zoo in there, an absolute yes. zoo. Um, so I think it went pretty well. Um, do, do you know what numbers that, uh, that were in attendance? Did you get that information 1500. from? 1,500. What did we have last year? Do you remember? Well, I don't remember. Well, I know, Michael, 1,200. Okay, so... 300 more. That's pretty cool. I like that. That's kind of neat. Awesome. So it was it was it was really good and then Sunday Oh goodness. Uh What time did we have to get up for that Sunday thing if you want to explain to the listeners what went on on Sunday? Well, they called Channel 5 News showed up. A local news station did uh some spots on Dragon Fest and we had to we got up at 5:30. We showed mm-hmm. up at the hotel at like 6:30. Mhm. It was it was early. Yeah, we had to do uh demonstrations and stuff like that. And <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and tell the story about, you know, how like space cadet we were. So after the initial <laughs> filming, right? After the initial filming, folks. So this went on from like seven until like what, eight or something like that. Cause you know how like live TV is. It's hurry up and wait. I've done like numerous like live TV spots here in Seattle. And it's like, you get there like at five and you probably aren't really on the air until like eight, nine, you know, um, that kind of thing. And it's kind of like, Oh my gosh. But anyway, so we thought, we thought everything was all done. Cause the cameramen were like, uh, coiling up all their cords and boxing up all their equipment and stuff like that. So Bob and I are like, oh, right on. Let's go get breakfast because we were starving, right? And we definitely needed coffee. 
desperately and definitely needed coffee. So I'm like, oh, let's go have breakfast because Dragon Fest doesn't start until like 11. Okay, so we leave. And then we come back. And then everybody's saying, where were you guys? They were going to film another spot for the 6 o'clock news, and we wanted Rusty to do Wushu. Where were we had everyone looking the hotel, all over the hotel for you guys. And we were like, um, uh, having pancakes. And, <laughs> and, you, know, yeah, and you know what was weird? At least three of those people that were looking for us mm-hmm. had my cell phone. They knew number. my cell phone number. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it, yeah, isn't that funny? Isn't that funny? And even then, I don't know if we would have had time to, like, come back, even if we were on our way, you know? Oh, someone just, like, hung up off the board, some 661 um, uh, area code. Now, here's the thing, folks. Okay, 661, please call back. Here's the thing. If you want to get on the air with us and talk live with us, please press 1. And that's usually uh, mentioned in the uh, greeting that you get when you call in to our uh, call-in line, which is 347-677-0699. In fact, it says, Welcome to Blog Talk Radio. If you would like to join the show, please press 1 at any time, and you will be placed in our caller queue. In the meantime, you may listen live to the show. That's exactly what it says. Um, So do please press 1 if you want to call. You know, Please don't think that we're ignoring your call. We just don't know that you want to talk to us. So please press 1 if you want to join us. All right. So with uh, that in mind, we got some really cool interviews throughout the day. And I just kind of want to play one to start with. We actually got to talk to the original founder of Dragon Fest, Gerald Okamura. We managed to catch him on his way around and – Gets get some of his thoughts on uh, on his uh, vision back then of when he created Dragon Fest and what he thinks is going to happen in the future. So here's Bob interviewing Gerald Okamura. It's not playing. <laughs> why isn't it not playing? I have no idea why it's not playing. It says that it's playing. That's weird. Okay. Odd. All right. Let's. <laughs> huh. Okay. Let's see if Steve Odekirk's interview is playing. Uh, this is uh, an interview with. Here we go. Here's Steve Odekirk's interview. Test. Test. One, two. Good. Good. Count me in. We're live at Dragon Fest is- 2015. You're on the Dynamic Dojo Talk Radio Show, and I'm sitting here with. A writer, producer, director, stand-up comedian, uh, Steve Odekirk. Hey, I'm the one who remembers Star Search. Wow. I'm I'm the one who watched it. That's actually, it? Yeah, that's it. Right. Steve, tell me I about you. I would meet that person. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I remember Ed McMahon. I remember you were on with Sinbad, same season. Uh, so tell me about your career. You did this one this. My uh, my dynamic dojo uh, button as you speak, oh, and it looks great. What you did a movie, Gong Pao, Enter the Fist. I consider that because of the longevity, almost iconic, the way it is. Uh, tell us about your project and how it came to be and your ideas. Uh, that you know that was that was probably me uh, primarily as a kid watching. Uh, 
uh, Flying Guillotine, uh, certain Bruce Lee movies, but but definitely the ones that would uh, push probably some of Yen Wo Ping's early work where it was just pushing the envelope on action and drama, where it was almost a comedy, you know? And and uh, I think I always looked at uh, the chop sake world that way. So early in my film career, I wanted to do, I wanted to stick myself in a, that's how he tells me, I'm going to stick myself in an old Hong Kong movie one day. So when I got the time, I had to literally just scan old, I knew I had to get something off the beaten path. So there's a film called uh, Savage Killers, uh, or Tiger and Crane Fist, depending on the territory. And I just liked the, the character base in there, so it was a mashup. I took the film, split it up in the editorial desk, wrote my own story, and uh, ultimately stuck myself in it. Wow. How, what, was the, what was it like time frame-wise, start to finish? Because you had a lot from that movie that you chopped up and put together. It was probably, you know, it was a big hunk of time finding the film. Once I had the film, it was a hassle trying to get the negative transferred to HD because it was such an old, I literally had to buy this from Mr. Wong in Hong Kong, you know, the film itself. And then when we got that up, I was probably at the editing desk for uh, not that long. It was like two or three months, maybe, at the edit desk creating the script, basically. And that's when I was scratching in all these voices and ended up being the final voices. So, like, the beginning of Evil Betty was like, hmm, Evil Betty. I was literally just messing around with the mic. And then all those lines ended up being the final voices. So I, that's how I ended up voicing all the characters. It was At first, I was just scratching it in. I thought we were going to have different actors later, you know. Wow, that's true. You know, I met a lot of your actors uh, at the screening at the uh, Mars Lodge History Museum. Uh, how many actors did you actually have? Because there was so much film that you used for from the past. There weren't that. It wasn't too too many actors. No, it was me. Uh, Jennifer Tung was actually cast, and and uh, and then a, a pack of uh, of our uh, of, of all the, everybody I met in this role, all my stunt guys that were actually actors in the film but primarily the main cast is all from the you know 25 years old or somewhere in hong kong you know it was uh it was really just pulling from the people that were in the old footage and then i would body double everybody uh we rebuilt the sets in rosarito mexico and we body doubled everyone so when you see me from this side it's me with our sets and body doubles when you uh, and over a body double shoulder when you see me from behind it's the old film it's Jimmy Wang Yu, uh, and, you know, it's not me. So the whole thing's like a, totally a puzzle. Or it was uh, green screen with my face, my head replacing his head in some shots. Now, Steve, you were telling us about the budget. This was very, very low budget for you. What was the budget like, and how did and did you work within it? Did you go over the budget? How did it work? We were, no, we were, we were a $9 million film, which now could be done for less, but at the time, everything was still film. It, was, it wasn't as much HD shooting, so it would be more streamlined now, but every, most of it was uh, a post-production effects, because I'm fighting a cow, you know, that we have a baby that fights, so we had, we, it was, a, it was a, it's a puzzle. It's like we had footage we shot. We shot about half the movie, about half the movie's older footage, but every single shot had to get hit digitally, because we had to restore the old footage and we had to dumb down our new footage to match it. So there isn't a shot that didn't go through an effects process. So that was really where most of the budget went, you know, about a six-month post. But the rest of it was pretty fast. Now, if anybody's ever seen this movie, it was it was funny, baby rolling down the hill. Uh, you were talking about PAs running up because a baby would stop because of a rock or a tree. Uh, 
Now, tell us about your early career, though. I mean, you were on Star Search. Was that where it started? Or, or where did it actually start? Well, I, I stand up comedy for like 13 years. And by really, I always must want to make movies. So about five, five years into that, I started shooting uh, anything. I'd just get equipment, shoot. It was not as sophisticated as now where I can, you know, I could go shoot a movie with this thing, you know. So it's like it's back then, you really had to be 35 millimeter film. You needed, you, needed uh, you know, money just to get through process, you know. So it's, uh, that was really, my, my career was started as an independent filmmaker, but then I got sucked into the studio system. I think the first round was when I wrote Nothing to Lose. And there was like a bidding war in the script. I was going to make it independently. You know, but uh, then I got pulled in. I was a screenwriter, and that turned into directing. And, you know, Bruce Almighty and Ace Ventura movies, Nutty Professor, Patch Adams, all that stuff. And then I went over and did animation uh, with Jimmy, with Nickelodeon, Jimmy Neutron, Barnyard, because I love that world, too. But my real affinity was for things like Thumbs. We did our little thumb projects, Thumb Tannic, Bat Thumb, and Kung Pao. You know, that's sort of like, that's sort of like me as a kid watching Python. You know, for the audience that that digs those uh, those projects, you know. Now you mentioned now nobody knows a, a lot about you, but some of the projects you named were what? Ninety Professor, Ace Ventura, uh, Bruce Almighty. Now, what was did you write those? Yeah, either uh, depending on the film, it was either write um, write or direct or produce, depending on what it is. Like Ace Ventura Two, I wrote and directed. Nothing to Lose, wrote and directed. Uh, uh, Bruce Almighty uh, screenplay, Patch Adams screenplay, Tom Shadyac directed both of those. So it varied uh, picture to picture, and some of them I produced. Uh, so it, it's sort of all over. I, I always pick a project just because I like it, you know. And uh, the tones are all a little different too, you know, in terms of the type of comedy. Now, what was your? Because I watched so much Jimmy Neutron when when my kids were kids. What was your? What was your? Uh, uh, what was your uh, project with them? What did you do for Jimmy Neutron? Jimmy Neutron was, uh, I, I had was a big fan of CG before anybody knew what it was, uh, CG animation. Because believe it or not, it's not that long ago uh, when no when it wasn't being used. All animation was 2D. Uh, so Jimmy was uh, two guys out of Dallas. I saw it in a, a Lightwave 3D magazine, this little Johnny Quasar character that was, uh, they had done like a 15-second short or something. But I liked the I liked this kid and his robot dog, and then he was a kid inventor. So I hooked up with those guys, and we sort of you know brainstormed out what ultimately became uh, Jimmy Neutron. It was John Davis and Keith Alcorn, uh, and then we we ended up doing the. I took them into Nickelodeon. They had I think they had six people at their company at that point, and Dallas, and uh, they flew out. We went to Nickelodeon. Next thing you know, we had the series and the and the movie. Wow! Now. There's Nickelodeon's all over. Where did you have to actually go? Did you have to go to the New York headquarters and pitch it? No, Nick. Uh, they are also out in LA. They're based out of New York, but they uh, so at the time I had met Albie Hecht, who is based out of New York, but Albie Hecht, who was running Nickelodeon at the time, met him uh, in LA. You know, and then oh I connected through to Barnyard, which uh, was an old idea I'd had. So I wrote and directed Barnyard, which was our next uh, feature and then series on Nickelodeon. That's so so strange, Steve. You have done more than anybody could hope for in the industry. I mean, you have had this career that has spanned uh, ten lifetimes, as far as I'm concerned. We are live at Dragon Fest 2015. Thank you, Steve. We are live.
on Dynamic Dojo Talk Radio. All right. Well, not necessarily live, but because uh, uh, <laughs> that was pre-recorded. But I, I do want to, I, I do want to find out what's going on with Gerald's interview. So let me just go ahead and play it because you know what I'm thinking, Bob, is that <clears throat> we had the mic on, but that it just wasn't, uh, that that it just wasn't ready for um, the interview quite yet. Um, but we'll just let it play for a little bit. So, I mean, you, you've already talked to Steve Odekirk, uh, who the listeners uh, are just now tuning in. Uh, Bob talked to Steve Odekirk at Dragon Fest, who is best known for his uh, role in producing and starring in the movie Kung Pao, Enter the Fist. And you've talked to him previous to, to Dragon Fest and, and, and also during the event. I mean, he's, he's genuinely a nice guy, you know? yes. <laughs> isn't he? Yes, yeah, he is. I mean, yes. Bob's, Bob's talked to him a lot more than I have, and, and he's genuinely a nice guy. He's not one of those, you know, uh, guys that, that uh, just – you know, oh, well, you know, talk to my agent, that kind of thing. I mean, he's got agents and stuff like that, but he's, you know, genuinely willing to just get right in there and and uh, and talk to you. So, well, yeah, I got a fun. Yeah, we got it. Oh, got I think it. we got it. All right. So, um, let's... we are live. Okay, we're live. Okay, Dynamic here Go-Go we go. Talk Radio, and I am here with the famous, the infamous Gerald Akamura, the originator of Dragon Fest. Gerald. What is your opinion of of your vision continuing in the last two years? As far as the Dragon Fest, yes. the martial arts, I think the Dragon Fest, like uh, I said earlier, the reason for Dragon Fest when I uh, originally uh, did Dragon Fest in uh, 96, it was because I've been to a lot of tournaments and they advertise uh, celebrities, but you never get to talk to the celebrities because they're kind of behind like the green room, the green area, whatever. So the public didn't really get a chance to talk to them. And I felt that something like Dragon Fest, you would come here, you would see the guy or the girl and you would talk to them, take a picture. And that was the whole premise behind Dragon Fest. And back then, uh, it was uh, trying to hustle up celebrities to come to the Dragon Fest. So that was the biggest deal, trying to get them. Originally, it was for pediatric AIDS. But like everything else, with no sponsor and stuff, uh, small money started to come out of the pocketbook. So, you know, my own money. So then... I, I didn't want to raise the price for, for entrance and all that simply because I, I felt that I had to give back to the, the community, the people. And so I try to keep as as low cost. I, I have a really nice story. It's a family from Kansas City. They must have come, uh, well, anyway, the first year they came. Husband and wife, four kids. They drove Saturday night. They drove from Kansas City. Got to uh, the Dragon Fest Sunday morning. Stayed all day. And that lady would come up to me and she would say, love it, like the show. I can meet 20, 30 martial arts celebrities in all the B-movies. 
And so she, they were, and all she said was, if you're going to have it next year, I'll be here. Four years this lady drove the family. Four years until the end. We ended in uh, 20, uh, 2004 was uh, the ninth year. I just couldn't squeeze in the number 10. You know how number 10 is supposed to be the big one? Yes. Yeah. So I think with this venue, it gives uh, the public, I think, the opportunity to, to meet people that they see on the screen. And this way you can talk to them. You can actually touch them, you know, and talk to them, take a picture, get an autograph, and that kind of deal. So as far as this thing, the life of this thing, uh, who, who can say, you know? Long as the, the public supports it like they have, you know, it, 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 as long as Michael wants to do it, I think it'll be available for the public, I think. Sir, I think you're absolutely right. Now, you had a uh, not an uphill battle. You did an amazing job. I was at Dragon Fest for a few years. I remember, you know, you had Greg Evigan, you had uh, The Rock. Uh, there are countless names there. But... It, the exposure was different back then because now we have the internet. Facebook has blown up. What What do you think about the difference, difference in marketing back then compared to how they're able to get uh, guests now? Oh, uh, big difference. Big difference in the sense that now you see up front on Facebook, they tell you who's coming, who's available, when it's going to be, where it's going to be, and it's on endless times what we had to do back then was and it all started out with word of mouth I try to get uh, martial art celebrities but naturally you get a lot of martial art people so when we started we started way back uh, in 96 like I said and it was a struggle getting celebrities the first two or three years I mean we barely got uh, name celebrities and as time went on it seemed like uh, it was a place to be so instead of us guys calling you know uh, a celebrity a celebrity would be emailing us and say can I be part of the Dragon Fest so that was the beauty of the whole thing toward the end and like I said I had a lot of people ask to be a sponsor, but they always wanted to put their finger in the cookie jar. And I said, no, I'm going to do it my way. Me and my staff was going to do it our way. And so I, you know, I had every year I would have somebody, even to the point of a person from Chicago and said, would you like to take this to Chicago? I just need your name and I can do everything. I said, no, only because I felt we had a very unique arrangement, uh, even with the celebrities and whatever. And then instead of somebody saying, here's 10 grand, but wait, let me, let me do this. You know, so that's the only reason why I stayed with pocket money and, uh, you know, we had to come to an end at some point. So... Now, you had a, a very amazing career in the movie industry. What is What are you doing now? Are you still doing movies, commercials, stunts, that sort of thing? No. Uh, 
I'm kind of retired. Uh, my last big movie that I did was G.I. Joe, the first one. Uh, I've done a little TV, uh, Kicking It, which is real popular with the kids. I mean, real popular. Uh, so I was real fortunate enough. And again, that little story goes, the kid that I worked with on G.I. Joe, Leo Howard, was in Kicking It. And on one episode, they needed a grandmaster. So the wife, actually wife, I'm sorry, the mother submitted my picture and my name to the producer. So I didn't really have to audition for the part. They said, come on in, you're it, and, and that's how I got it. So it, it's very a small world, small world. Very fortunate because kids on the street can identify me with kicking it. They don't know my name. They know me as they know me as Grandmaster Paul from kicking it. So and that's nice with me. Uh, you know, it's it's okay with me. So yeah, it it's uh you know. But you know what I've been saying as far as your question. Do I do movie stunts and all? I've kinda gone over the, the hill for that. So right now what I really am auditioning for is like the romantic lead. See, like I told all these martial arts guys, I want to do the kiss kiss and not the fight fight. You know? What do you think? What did you like that? I love that idea. Yeah, me too. Yeah, that's... I haven't had any uh, no audition. Nobody's coming after me. I, I can't understand why, Gerald. Uh, did you find out, because I talked to one, somebody that you were in a lot of movies with. I was talking to James Liu, and he says that he was actually typecast because of his long Remember when James had long hair? And, how was it for you in the movie industry? I dislocated my shoulder waking out one day, way back when. And I had a choice whether to let my hair grow or cut it short. So what I did was I went out, got those little cheapy haircutting thing, put an adapter on there, just buzzed my head. One, the wife was doing that. One day she forgot to put the adapter on, and here I got a nice white stripe that went from here all the way up to the other side. So then I said, okay, let, let, let it go. So I started buzzing my hair real short. Then Eric Lee came along and says, hey, I got a part for you. Weapons of that but it's already short, so why don't you shave your head? And ever since then, I've kind of kept it shaved. Yeah, and back then, I used to be the only guy at interviews with a shaved head. So I like James Lou in long hair. But now, what happens? I see James, he ain't got hair on his head. And he's, and he's in Moscow now, choreographing a movie. And I'm here. I'm at the Dragon Fest. I'm looking for... I'm looking for someone to pick me up. But yeah, but all these guys, James Liu has been one of the, the early guys that really hustled to get celebrities, martial arts people, to the Dragon Fest. So I owe him a lot, a lot. And we go back, we go back a long ways, James and I, uh, like you said, in different movies and stuff. So. Well, you guys probably go back, what, about 40 years? No, just five. Just five. That's that's all I know, James. Five years. I don't know him any longer than five. I can't stand him any longer than five. 
Well, this is Bob Neal live at Dragon Fest 2015. Rusty, back to you. Wow. You know, Gerald is such a nice guy. Just, just an incredible, incredible guy, you know. And, you know, as, as uh, uh, what's intimidating as he looks when he takes pictures and stuff like that, he's, he's, in, he's just an incredible gentleman. Just, just awesome. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just awesome. And, but you know, it was a great... This, well, see, I know that him and James go back to, like, the 70s. Mm -hmm, and when he mm -hmm. said, I've only known James five years, I almost lost it. Yeah. Yeah, I, th I thought it was pretty funny because, like, you know, anyone in the know knows that James and him go back, like, when we <laughs> when we were, like, kids, you know what I mean? Right, so right. Like, so pretty, that was pretty funny of him. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, the, there's also a video um, version of that interview. Now, most of these uh, recorded interviews, folks, are in video form also on our YouTube channel. So... Go to our YouTube channel. Just look for Dynamic Dojo Talk Radio. Uh, it'll have our red and yellow logo on it, and it'll have all of the video versions. So, you know, I, I find that video versions of interviews are so much better because you get to see the uh, the interviewee's face and their facial expressions and 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 how it goes with their vocal intonations and stuff like that. So it's just so much funner, and uh, yeah, just just awesome stuff. Um, so yeah. So great inter great interviews throughout the day. Um, let's see who else did we interview? You you also you also interviewed Joycelyn Liu. So tell the listeners a little bit about Joycelyn, and then we'll play your interview. Joycelyn is the most genuine, kindest, uh, beautiful. Uh, she's <laughs> funny. She's a magician. Uh, she's a magician's assistant. Uh, she is just a really good person. Yeah, just just incredible. And she was actually on uh, one of the uh, longest running. Now, she was on the original Kung Fu. Now, was she the longest running uh, recurring character on the show? No, she, she had the largest role ever written for a female. Which oh, back then was okay. quite an accomplishment. Yes. Now, for that show or just in general for, for a TV series? Uh, for that show. Actually, it, actually it, I'm sorry. It, that, that was a general statement. That, because females were sort of, uh, don't write me letters, listeners, but at that point, females were second-class citizens. And they didn't get the roles that the males did. So to be written as big of a part as Joyce Lynn was written for the series Kung Fu, that was quite an accomplishment back in the 70s. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and, and it's, it's funny, this reminded me of it back then in the early 70s. Because, like, um, if I remember correctly, Kung Fu, the original TV series, uh, started airing in, like, 70... Oh, shoot, I forgot. 73? I think the pilot actually came out in 71, didn't it? The Something pilot like that, because Bruce was still alive. Bruce actually was up. Bruce Lee was actually up for quite chain game. Yeah, so it must have been seventy one because Bruce died in seventy three. So right. um, if I were, and I'm looking up the uh, um, the episode that Joycelyn was on, I think it's called Arrogant Dragon. 
And let's see here. And it has uh, Joyce Lynn Liu played a character called Kim on on it. Um, uh, wow, this uh, this this episode also had uh, James Hong in it that played a character called Men Han and uh, Tommy Lee Apothecary. What I don't know what. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, a lot of uh, uh, so yeah, I'm, I, I'd have to look at the, I'd have to actually watch the the uh, episode again just to just to remember what it was about because <laughs> I've seen all the episodes, but uh, uh, but the one that I remember the most, I know this is off topic, but the one I remember the most was this funky one that dealt with magic. That was like I forgot the name of it, but it was like all like weird like magic and and it was weird and i was like what what is going on <laughs> so anyway back to joycelyn here is the interview with joycelyn lou let's see if we can get it to play oh here we go test two what we're good You're listening to the Dynamic Dojo Talk Radio Show live from Dragon Fest 2015. We are here with the lovely, the talented, the ageless. Wow, if you guys could have seen what she just did, you would envy me half to death. I'm sitting here with Joyce Lynn. <laughs> guys, I forgot we're videotaping this at the same time. I'm sitting here with Joyce Lynn Lou. Uh, yeah, we're standing up. I'm sitting... Wow, I am I am tongue tied now again. And and two, uh, Joyce Linyard, Samurai Cop two. Tell us a little bit about your part. Well, I play uh, Gerald Okamura's mistress. Originally, Greg, the director, wanted me to play his daughter, but Gerald wanted me to play his wife. But then he goes, "You really couldn't be my wife. You could be my mistress." So I said. Okay, hookers are us. I'll be his mistress. <laughs> wow. Now, you've had a very interesting career. You were the you were in the original Kung Fu TV series. You had the long, the largest part ever written for a woman. Now, I saw a TV show last week with you in it. You said some very funny things. What was that? Oh, was that the sidekick? Yes, that was a sidekick. And you said some very funny things about working with David Carradine. Oh, yes. <laughs> well, <laughs> I said that he could hardly open his eyes because of the drugs. And I said, <laughs> so I said, so that's why you look Asian, because you cannot open your eyes. And then, <laughs> okay, I was doing this scene in bed with him, and the hairdresser was brushing my hair, and she goes, he could at least have showered knowing he had to be in bed with somebody. And I said, you can tell? He goes, oh, we can smell him from here. Oh, my goodness. Well, now there is another funny story. You tried out for the big brawl with Jackie Chan. You were on your audition. You're obviously Chinese. Tell me a little bit about the audition. Well, I'm actually... American, but I mean, you know, I was born here, so I don't really speak the languages, but I mean, I know a few things, but of course I'm not fluent, and 
When you're auditioning, they always say, can you do this? Can you jump off a plane? Sure. Can you do this? Right. You just. So they said, can you speak Chinese? I said, sure. They said, well, speak to Jackie. Or we didn't, I didn't know who he was. They just said, here, speak to him. He speaks Chinese. So I didn't really know at the time, you know, who he was. So I just said, okay. So in Chinese, I said, which means I don't speak Chinese. <laughs> and so then he said, uh, do you understand her? And then Jackie said, oh, yes, oh, yes. And so he never mentioned the fact that what I said was that I don't speak it. He just went along with it. And I thought that was really cool. Yeah, that was cool of him. And so basically he didn't really speak English. He would say, hi, honey. <laughs> that was it. Oh, this was the early part where he didn't speak any English yet? Yes. He oh. didn't speak very much English. So we didn't really have much, you know, to talk about because it was all in English, the the dialogue I had to say, so luckily I didn't have to speak Chinese, but phonetically I've had to sing it sometimes and learn stuff. I worked on that mad cowgirl and they wanted me to sing in Mandarin. I can't hardly even speak in Mandarin, so I was trying to lip sync, you know. Wow, wow, well we are live at Dragon Fest. Thank you, Joyce Lynn. Rusty, back to you. She was such a fun person. Oh, my goodness. I just wanted her to sit at our table with us the whole time. Oh, it was so fun. <laughs> and we could so hear you fun. laughing in the background when she was saying stuff. It was cool. Yeah, yeah, that was that was that that was that was pretty cool. Um, on the uh, on the video versions, um, I uh, I joined the channels together. So that way um, the video has both what. Uh, your mic was picking up and what the video was picking up. So that way it like got everything. Because <laughs> oh, no. I, I absolutely loved the hookers are us. <laughs> uh, yeah. She goes, oh, so she goes, sorry. She's like, okay, hookers are us. I about lost it because I think I had a, a mouthful of soda at that time. <laughs> I was like, are right. you serious? <laughs> so she just, she, she's just a great lady. And, you know, a, a lot of other great, celebrities we can't even begin to um to um even like uh name them all um let's see what's uh let's see oh here's a here's another uh interview our good friend kumu lua michelle manu uh we did it she was our first interview i think on saturday saturday the 18th so um, let me see if I can pull up that sound bite. So all of these, all of these audio files, folks, are raw. So well, I guess we'll find out whether or not there's a big, uh, uh, a big empty spot at the beginning. Because sometimes I would turn on the mic and just leave it. <laughs> but let's find out. Here we go. Uh, looks. Oh, here we go. Okay. Okay. Cool. Come on. <laughs> We're live Did I leave the mic on? Dragon oh, here we go. 2015. I'm standing here with Kua Luma, Lua Michelle Manu, which just, wow, wow. You know, take two. Which just performed uh, her hula at the Dragon Fest. Now, Michelle, what we want to know is you you studied Lua for a long time. You're a hula dancer. What What is the correlation between Lua and hula? 
Uh, well, back in the day, some of the audience knows that Lua was concealed in the hula when the missionaries banned the fighting arts, and so went underground at that point and was considered kapu, forbidden, uh, for anyone to learn and practice. And uh, when it started to come out again slowly, only select individuals were taught a, a less deadly or less lethal form of Lua, um, but it was still kept in the hula. So. You know, a lot of the hula dancers today, I always say this, don't they have no idea that they're actually doing fighting techniques. Oh, very good. Now, you and I have talked extensively at one time. You had a really tough time coming into Lua because of your gender. How, how long has it been since women have been allowed to study Lua? I think it depends on the specific Olohe and the family art. Um, but I know when I sought out and almost stalked my Elohe and uh, trying to um, become and be accepted as a Helmana student that um, he hadn't taught women for at least 15 years by choice. So now I've been with him close to 20 and so that's like 35 years of me being the only woman in the first generation black belts directly learning from him. I did hear that there were two other women that reached the Elohe ship um, in Hawaii but um, they've since Stop. Once they reach that, they stop training, never really taught. And that's just hearsay, so I can't say that's absolutely true. But if that is true, it's really heartbreaking. I think us women have a duty, especially those that are paving the way, that our mainlanders and Hapa um, and our women have a duty, stand where we are given to stand and to teach those what we were fed by our grandmasters. And so adversity comes with that, a lot of dismissal, as you can see. I mean, well, Valua warrior, where's this, right? But, you know, looks are deceiving. And I think that if we're always to judge people by their looks, then we're going to be sorely mistaken that someone in, that can wear three and four inch heels can hurt us as a guy. You know, I mean, as a woman, I'm not saying I'm going to beat up every guy, but I have a lot of awareness that maybe some of the men might lack. I also have the soft, which a lot of the kumus lack. So there you have it. You know, there's one thing that you're not going to agree with, though. And I said this to, to, to Rusty. At, I said, somebody as attractive as you should not be able to kick my ass. And you walked away, and I said, that girl's going to be able to kick my ass. Why? Oh, shut up. Stereotype? She's got my back. She's supposed to have my back. Now I've got a knife oh, in it. No. Now, now, when you said you were stalking, you were actually stalking yeah, because you I were was. getting hung up on by the daughters. Yeah, that's correct. They're like, you're not going to stalk <laughs> my father. Get out. What made you keep going, though? I don't know. You know, it's when it's, it's it's definitely a war quality where you can't explain sometimes where you just keep persisting. There's really no logic to it. Something's just not pulling, but almost propelling you to, to act a certain way. And it was that. I was just persistent. I kept calling back and saying, I think, I think we got disconnected <laughs> and until he was willing to talk to me. So Now, but why was he willing to talk to you? Was it just to get you to stop calling him? Was, was, he, was he going to ignore you? Was he going to turn you away? What, what made him, what, what do you think brought you together? I'm not really sure. I'm, I Obviously, I think that it was meant to be, but I'm just grateful for the opportunity to be invited to watch a class. And right after class, he signed me up, and I've been training since. And it's training has changed in the halal, but he still is very, Alohe is still very much the same. So oh, Very cool. <laughs> well, this is the Dynamic Dojo Talk Radio Show. We are live here at Dragon Fest with our dear friend, Michelle Manu. Oh, uh, 
you know, okay, she used to be a dear friend until now. And and by the way, tomorrow she switches to decaf. Uh, enjoy us for the next couple days, and we're live from Dragon Fest 2015. <laughs> so I'm waiting on the chat board for like hate mail with the about your comment about a woman this attractive should not be able to kick my ass. Oh no! <laughs> I'm waiting for the hate mail. <laughs> So far, none yet. So, <laughs> oh, it's coming. <laughs> so anyway, but yeah, just and for for the people that didn't go to Dragon Fest, it was a, an absolutely beautiful hula demonstration. Even though she did um, more of the touristy kind of stuff, because yeah. that's what people expect. People expect like the Don Ho you know, uh, wavy hands type of stuff, which, you know, which happens, you know, and stuff like that. But the, the, the places where the hula uh, really coincides with lua is in the kahiko or the ancient hula. Um, and, uh, and also the, 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 the chant, the oli that goes uh, with the kahiko really brings a, a very primal, um, like warrior-like type of... Um, thing to the hula and so for anyone out there that um, knows nothing about hula and only thought that hula was a don ho touristy uh, you know steel guitar type stuff um, just go to youtube and google or well i guess it is google it's youtube youtube search for kahiko k-a-h-i-k-o kahiko k-a-h-i-k-o um, or look up um, Mary, well, I'd have to spell it for you. It's Mary Monarch, and that's Mary spelled the old-timey way, M-E-R-R-I-E, Monarch Hula Festival, Kane, A-N-E, and uh, Kahiko. Um, you'll see um, ancient hula with the guys dressed um, basically in loincloths and looking very warrior-like and stuff, and all of their footwork and a lot of their arm motions are very warrior-like and very similar to what Michelle um, has has demonstrated in Lua. So very interesting, interesting uh, similarity between the martial and the dance, which is the same for Filipino martial arts as well. A lot of our um, folk dances in the Philippines are uh, also hide the, uh, the warrior arts of the, of the Philippines through its footwork and stuff like that. So pretty, pretty cool stuff. All right. So let me, speaking of the Filipino martial arts, uh, we have an interview with uh, Mr. Paul Factora, who is the producer of the film uh, The Way of the Balisong. And I've just tried uh, uploading his interview because I realized it was not on our board. Um, so let's, uh, let's go ahead and go to that interview with Mr. Paul Factora. Does that sound good, Bob? Sounds great. Okay, here we go. Test. I think. Test, test. Oh, more tests. <laughs> test, test, test. Okay. Give me a three, two, one. Wow, this is taking forever. <laughs> okay, here we go. I think. Okay, now here we go. 
Oh, geez. <laughs> What's going on with this audio? <laughs> Go ahead and press it. All right, this is Ristina De Jesus of Dynamic Dojo Talk Radio, and I'm here with Paul Factora at the Way of the Bali Song booth here, right over there. Now, Paul, can you tell us a little bit about the Way of the Bali Song, uh, when work started on it, and when you think the release date of this video would be? Oh, great question. Um, let's start with uh, when I started it. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah, it uh, started two years ago on a trip to Batangas, Philippines, um, which I haven't been back since... Uh, like 99 and I went there to buy Bali songs there's a village there Barangay Bali song that's that's been known for almost 100 years for making these knives yeah, it's considered the birthplace of the Bali song right it definitely is it definitely is and um, it was it's a common tourist thing to grab to grab a knife before you leave in 2000 there was a bunch of shops I went back a couple of years ago there was maybe a little less than 10 left yeah and so that really kind of tripped me out um, I started asking around. I got to talking with uh, one of the blade makers uh, just out of Ono, one of the shop owners. And he told me how the industry is dying, and he doesn't expect it to be around in five, ten years. And uh, that freaked me out. I said, you know, why is that happening? And he told me all a bunch of reasons, um, you know, with the old blade, blade makers, you know, pretty much passing away or losing their eyesight. Uh, the young kids, the new generation, they're into cell phones and video games and tablets and such. Uh, the guys my age, um, they're bailing out they're going to the Middle East to get work you know they make more money there they work like a month there they make a lot more than selling Bali songs in a year or something like that you know and so I thought wow this is really gonna be gone you know um, I'm an editor by trade I'm a film editor but I've always wanted to do my own documentary project and on my flight back it just hit me I'm like it'd be cool to document this before it's gone so uh, yeah I, I came back a few months later you know did an interview and uh, the story just expanded. The history I found was fascinating. The culture was fascinating. Um, going on the internet, I, I, you know, I traced the story of uh, Benchmade USA, how the Bali song came over here, and Les Diasis and Jeff Amata just popularized it. Now Le Les Diasis is a, a humongously successful businessman, yeah. uh, the head of a multi-million dollar business. Um, Jeff Amata is the top, one of the top stuntmen you know, in the world, and his first notoriety was making the Bali song book. Yeah. 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 And of course, uh, Gurudan and Asano made the Bali song very popular. And I found those fast stories fascinating as well. And then on further research, I found just this new culture of Bali song flippers, Bali song makers, and collectors all throughout the world. You know, all throughout the world. And the flippers have like their own culture where they've taken the art of Bali song flipping and have done something with it so acrobatic that you know it, it's mind-boggling how good what they're doing yeah and uh and with the new custom blade makers just the intimacy of their craft you know of uh just really high-end materials and and very like and very uh sophisticated production processes that they put in these bali songs and i thought that was an awesome story as well so it, what started off as a short story film idea on barangay bali song turned into this whole uh this whole uh, examination of a culture and basically that's what way of the bali song is i've been at it for about two years and i'm almost there i think i'm about 70 75 percent there of all my principal photography and you know and i was going broke doing it <laughs> so now i'm at the stage where i'm going to solicit help from the community you know i'm selling shirts patches and a few trainer blades 
you know, here at Dragon Fest. Um, I'm honored to be here. And uh, I'm going to be doing a uh, fundraiser at the end of August also to hopefully complete the film. Oh, very cool. Now, is there, um, do you plan on doing like a, any type of crowdfunding? Do you have a crowdfunding page yeah, for that? Yeah, once, so, yeah, at the end of August, I'm probably going to do uh, a GoFundMe. Okay. Yes. Um, and um, I'm going to come up with a good line of uh, products that we can sell. And, and uh, yeah, I'll be, uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, follow www.wayofthevalleystong.com and I'll have uh, all the information there. Very cool. Now, can you tell us a little bit about uh, the items that you have here? Let's see if we can get a shot of this. Where did the big balisong come from? <laughs> well, let me show you the contrast, you know. Okay. They make them as small, they make them as small as a keychain, you know. And these are actually a big seller over in Batangas, yeah. And then you got, you know, your standard dose blade, which is 10 centimeters long. And then up to the very most popular 29 centimeter Vente Nueve, you know. Vente Nueve, oh my gosh. Now with the audio, if you're not seeing any of this, this is a big Bali song. Big Bali song. They get bigger, of course. If This thing looks like it's three feet long. It's... Wow. Everybody seems to love... And there are people at this. Uh, when I was in, <laughs> I was uh, blessed with a demonstration by a little hundred, 90 pound, 70 year old woman, like flipping this like crazy, you know. And I happened to not have my camera that day. Wow, that's nuts. Now, speaking of flipping, Bob, if we can get some uh, flip action here, yeah, we, we got blessed, uh, we got some guys here that are doing some flipping. These guys are great. These guys, um, considering that some of you get some of the people on the show are going to be listening only to audio, you're going to have to look up the video that we have attached to this. This is incredible what these guys are doing. They're doing like uh, finger rolls and thumb rolls and just like a, just around the world kind of stuff and Ferris wheel kind of moves and stuff like that. Now, like, um, I have a question for you guys, okay? Now, like in in like I guess the flow arts, they just call it flipping, right? Now, what would you guys think? Or what would you guys say would be the difference between like recreational flow art flipping, like juggling, and actual use of the bali song as it would be in Batangas, like a martial art? What would you guys feel would be the difference other than? Um, the the, the big thing is what we do takes a long time. It's not necessarily for a purpose other than the art form of it. Where in Batangas, it's kind of a, you gotta, you gotta pick it up, close and open it and use the kill as fast as you can. Fast and efficient, where com compared to us, we're a very flowy, artsy. It's, there's not much more to it other than the fun of it. Very cool. What are your thoughts on flow versus the martial side? Uh, for, for the battle song, you wanna, you wanna just be able to defend yourself with it. And for, for what we wanna do, we wanna be able to show it, you know, the, the coolest way you can possibly do it and something that, that people can't, you can't just pick up a knife and flip it around because it's it's really dangerous. Right? But, but for the the standard Batanga style, it's it's more of a tool than it is a toy. Very cool. Well, thank you, Paul. Thank you, guys. Now these guys were talking to me while they were flipping these. Just just amazing stuff. But thank you again, Paul. And we look forward to the release of Way of the Bali Song. So.
Yeah, very cool. It's been an honor to meet you at Dragon Fest and hang out with my old friend, my good old friend Bob Dahl <laughs> from the Chinatown JKD days. Yeah, what's up, Thor Mark? And um, yeah, and uh, check out uh, Bali, wayofthebalisong.com, and I'll keep you posted on how the film goes. Very cool. Wayofthebalisong.com. Well, this is Rusty, Dynamic Dojo Talk Radio. I'm out. All right. Those those guys that were flipping the Bali song, just just talking like it's no big thing, and their hands were doing like these incredible, incredible things. <laughs> I can't do two things at the same time like that. That was crazy how they were doing that. The, weren't those guys like just totally awesome? Those guys were awesome. That was... That was totally insane. Uh, it was insane. If, every waking minute that they're not at work, they're flipping. They have to be yeah. get that good, that proficient at it. Yeah, yeah. And I understand that, that obsession because I was in a Bali song, uh, oh gosh, around the same time that I started getting serious about bullwhip. I, you know, started learning like thumb rolls and Ferris wheel uh, catches and finger rolls and, you know, just weird release moves and stuff like that. But the, I, I just kind of lost the, the drive to practice it like every waking moment because the bullwhip took over and the slingshot took over. Right. Um, but those guys just in just incredible what they do with live blades. These are not trainers that they're playing with. These guys were playing with live blades. So uh, there is also a, a video version of that interview. And uh, again, just go to our YouTube channel, Dynamic Dojo Talk Radio, and you'll be able to see it because uh, those guys are those guys are great. And you'll also be able to see the size of the big bully song that we were talking about. It was huge. It was at, at, the handle itself was as long as my arm. It yeah, yeah. No it was, joke. It was as long enormous. as my arm. It was enormous. Yeah. So yeah. So that was that was pretty cool stuff. Well, we've got about 15 minutes of how, Bob, I, I thought we were going to be able to get through all these interviews, but I guess not. So we have about 15 minutes. Which one should we play next? I think we should play John Krang's interview because that's a I think you're very, right. I think you're yeah, right. I think John Krang's interview should be our final one, and I'll post the other uh, interviews that we didn't do, like Teresa Ireland, uh, John Miguel, uh, Lorraine Landon. Um, and I think that's it. I'll post those up as SoundCloud files on our channel. Uh, but John Krang has a DVD out called Fight Design. It's a great DVD, and uh, we were asking him, asking him about it and a little bit about the, the, the industry of stunts. So here's John Krang. Good afternoon. Oh. You're listening to Dynamic Dojo Talk Radio Live, and we're at Dragon Fest 2015. I'm standing here with actor, producer, director, writer, John Crank. John, you have a new project coming out. You've got it on DVD. Tell me about it. It's called Fight Design. What it is is uh, we're teaching filmmakers how to create fight scenes because usually they don't, they don't teach you that in film school. So we, we put together, we did a seminar. We got Jeff Amata. Ben Ramsey, uh, uh, Angela Merrill, Carb Bartels, he was a DP on Taken 1, 2, and 3. Uh, Darren, Darren Ross, he was he worked, recently worked on uh, the new, um, not Deathstroke, uh, the other, the comic book thing. Uh, not, oh, God, I'm drawing a blank. So um, 
that. We had uh, uh, Robert Legato, who won an Oscar for special effects. He worked with Martin Scorsese. We had Gary Daniels on it. So it's a 30-minute thing. They, you know, they briefly explain what's going on. I explained the three acts of a fight scene. You're telling a story with it. So that's what we we're doing. There's also, you know, if you're if you're working on a show. Importance of having insurance, and this guy we had an insurance agent that comes in and he explains why you have to have insurance on your project because there's a lot of you know filmmakers now that don't have no idea about what what you need to have to put together a film. And Melissa talks about scheduling and and budgeting and 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 all that other stuff too. So now, John, what about also licensing, city licensing, like Burbank, a lot of companies may stay out of Burbank because of the licensing process. The fact is you have to have cops on site if it's above a so big production. Right. Well, what you got to do is you have to go to Film LA. If you're going to shoot here, you got to have permits, you know, because I mean, you you don't you don't want wrong elements coming in disturbing your your show, your shoot or you know, and, and also they, they're there to help protect the, the citizens, they're walking around, hey, wow, a movie, and all of a sudden, you know, a brick comes in their face, and they die, and then, or something happens, they go to the hospital, and they sue your production, I mean, it's just, it's all, it's all a process, you know, um, I think the new tax incentives, there's a $325 million tax incentive that uh, the, the, the state has been giving us now, before it was a lottery, and it, and it's, and it's helping, I mean, before the lottery, it was just like, you know, just draw the hat, we get the thing, and it just, frustrated a lot of producers to so says well hell with us we're leaving going to atlanta or louisiana or canada or whatever so now this tax incentive came in a lot of people are coming coming back shooting in la because i mean you know it's the weather's like this you know 12 months round you know exactly i know it's a lot a lot of places shooting outside you know shooting in canada seattle alaska they're shooting all over the place except where now now the funny thing is they're all here it's like, do you if you remember the movie Valentine's Day, shot by uh, the uh, Marshall? He said he shot it here because all the actors, he had some A-list guys, are all here. Now, did you go into as much detail? Because shooting a fight scene isn't what everybody thinks it is. It's a lot of angles and things like that. Did you go into that? Uh, briefly. Um, we do. We did a two-parter. Two um, uh, in this one, the first one we did. We explain the three acts of a fight scene, how to tell a story without using dialogue. A fight scene, you are telling a story with it. A lot of people don't understand it. They go, they think it's just a bunch of cool moves, and it's not. You know, if you do that enough, you're going to lose the audience. It's going to be, it's not like two different movies. You know, it's like you got the drama, the the, the acting part, and then you got the fight scenes. That is a sign of a really poorly put together fight scene. You know, anybody can put together cool moves. You know, but the thing is, you got to tell a story. Where are the, you, you got the moves have to be based on the character and their motivation. So, and that's the hard part. A lot of people don't understand that, especially filmmakers. They hire, you know, sometimes they'll just hire martial artists. Go, well, he's got a school down here. He's he can do this really cool stuff. I'll just hire him, put him together. But the thing is, is you can tell it's it's if they have no training in, in film work, they 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 won't understand how to tell a story non-verbally. So, that's okay. Okay, now that makes sense because if they're going to move, if they're going to use techniques, it better make sense what they're doing. Uh, so, d did you try, uh, better lack of a better word, try to attack what 
people would not typically learn in a film school in an academy let's say there's one here in Burbank they may not learn it from there is that what you tried to do with it yes yeah I mean I I've helped on a, several student projects and I would sit there and explain to them what needed to happen there's got to be a reason for this fight to happen there's got to be a cause and effect for it in order to 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 resonate with the audience and be a part of the story and they were like oh my god we never learned this so I mean that, you know I I understand why, because a lot of film schools, they don't want you to do action because insurance issues, you know, to a film student. So, I mean, you know, they're starting to let uh, seniors and people going for their master thesis at least begin to try to do basic stunts. And they're starting to change, but it's it, it needs uh, there needs to be a change uh, all across the board. What is you know you've been in the industry a while. What is your specialty? You've you've got Melissa helping you out. What is what between you two? What is your specialty? Me, it's fights. You know, I I started second unit directing. You know, so I've you know I I enjoy that more. Um, you know, because the more you do it, the more you understand the technical aspects of you know where to put the camera, how to motivate the actors within a short amount of time, and getting them to do what you need to do. You know, with with the time time and space you you have, you know, so that's I'm I'm enjoying that. Okay, a couple more questions. One, how did you learn this? And two, you just mentioned something about motivating an actor. I'm sorry, they carry a pretty hefty paycheck. That's my motivation. You pay me, you give me money, I'll do whatever the hell you want. But what, how did you learn this? You're trying to teach people what you may or may not have learned that was not on the job for you. Okay. Uh, what I, how I learned this was uh, my first stunt job. I worked on a Hong Kong film with Jet Li. The stunt coordinator was Yun Wu Ping, who was the guy who did uh, The Matrix. It was his brother. So they were teaching me all this stuff when I was working on set. And I came on there before I, before I ever worked on it. So they were teaching me. Was, you want to learn how to do what we do? This is what we do. You got to understand. You got to sell the sell with emotion. You got to make all the, you know, sell it with your face when you get hit. You know, do you, I mean, if you look at how, how Jackie reacts or his stuntman reacts, they tell a story. They tell a little bit of a, a small story that's part of a big story. And that's what makes him successful worldwide. And the reason why is because you don't have to use dialogue. Uh, when you when you, when you you get hit, you turn around and you go, you, you have a certain look or you, I mean, usually right now it's just anger and rage. If you don't understand, if you can't do it, you, the typical first two emotions you go to, anger and rage. But if you do a long fight, it's going to get boring. You know, you do anger and rage throughout a whole fight to a five-minute fight, you're going to lose the audience. They're going to they're, they hold that emotion also, and you're going to it's going to bore them. You know, so there's more to it than just anger and rage, even though that's what in the real world it might be. But you've got to tell a story. You got to show angst. You got to go show frustration. You got to all that stuff. You know. What What's the name of your video again? called fight design okay listeners you're we're live at dragon fest with john crang check out fight design uh is there a website or anything that they can get the video on um not right now we're still working on it but you can get me on on uh youtube uh real kinetic action design r-e-e-l kinetic k-i-n-e-t-i-c action design or you can get me at twitter at J crang j-k-r-e-n-g very cool john thank you and I'm out. All right. Very cool. So.
what a what a fitting uh, ending to the show. Um, talking about stunts and and how building a fight for the camera is more than just a bunch of cool moves. And everything that he had said uh, was what I had learned through the International Stunt School. Also, um, also when teaching um, people how to how to do how to play for the camera, doing stuff like wushu and how to look like you can really use a sword when you really don't, <laughs> and stuff like that. Everything that John says is spot on, and he's been doing it a long time. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I definitely, um, suggest that if anyone want, is interested in getting into the stunt industry to talk to John Krang, um, if they're in the, uh, uh, California area. So we are unfortunately out of time. Can you, can you believe that? <laughs> wow. Already, I know already, you know, it's, it's just, just just wild how like time flies when you're when you're having fun but uh yeah, do you have any comments so. about that weekend what's that well it was, it was a great weekend we had so much fun next year it's going to be uh one day uh because <laughs> he looked at me laughing michael looked at me laughing and he goes the vendors were beat and i said we were exhausted we were running on three or four hours sleep at night and just yeah. exhausted now i get to go to yeah. the museum and meet my friend daryl vidal from the original Karate Kid. He's going to be there. <clears throat> right on. Right on. So, yeah, fun weekend, and it was. I, I don't rem I'm still processing it because, like like you said, we were only running on, like, three or four hours of sleep every night. Uh, but, yeah, <laughs> fun stuff. So look forward to next year, folks. Look forward uh, for a date for next year's event, Dragon Fest 2015. All right, well, I'm Rosita and my buddy Bob. There you go. And we are Dynamic Dojo Talk Radio. We'll see everyone next week. Keep an eye out on our Dynamic Dojo Facebook page on um, for the upcoming guests because we're still having to go through all the lists and stuff like that as to who we're going to have on. Um, and also check out our, our YouTube channel. We've got uh, some video interviews there from Dragon Fest. All right. Me and Bob are out. We'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.